8,000 people were murdered at Srebrenica, uh, the vast majority of whom were men. Many of the women survived Srebrenica, but uh, many of them were systematically raped. People uh, in, on the compound commit suicide, first through the children uh, of the building and then jumped after them because they don't want to get in the hands of the Serbs. So when you look around and you, you get a, a baby in your hands, wounded, and you see people jumping and hanging, it was... You can never forget it. Never. The refugees would have fled from the town of Trebonitra itself, which is a very, very small town. Think of a small market town in England, but in the middle of a mountain. Fields and fields full of, full of refugees. People who are so desperate they left everything behind. They haven't showered or washed or even eaten for days and they're desperate and they're hoping the UN can look after them and they're just stood in the fields screaming and petrified because they are convinced death, death is coming. Apparently it was very, very orderly in the end. This guy was an interpreter at the time. His job was to interpret between um, the Dutch and English of the, of the UN soldiers and different versions of Serbo-Croat between the Serbians and the Bosnians. And he was trying to get them on the bus. Even though they knew, similar to here in the Holocaust, they were just accepting orders. They took them to local schools, local gymnasiums, shoved them in these big rooms, locked the doors, and then rolled in grenades. We would look at it from stats and figures, but the actual human atrocity of this. There's a French detective who was in charge after the war finished of investigating what really happened for the Hague trials. In his testimony when he's doing a documentary to the BBC not long after, he talks about how people were left dying on the floor. Because not everyone died straight away, people were dying. And then they came back in the morning and finished them off. You've attempted to massacre a large number of people. It's been largely successful, but not everyone's dead. Instead of walking up to them and putting them out of the misery there and then, you've gone, actually, you know what? I'm a bit tired now. I think I'll go to bed. I think I'll have some dinner, and I'll come back tomorrow morning. And that's the level of hatred that we're dealing with in Bosnia. Sergeant, you had a possibility to choose to go back to Srebrenica, but you chose to cross on Serbian side. Why was that? We uh, were afraid uh, of our lives. I'm Owen, I'm the Director of Education and Training at Hope Not Hate Charitable Trust. My work is going to schools across England and Wales and I teach students about prejudice and discrimination. I've visited Srebrenica and Sarajevo and I talk about this atrocity often with teenagers across England and Wales. When you look at, like, say, like genocide, you think of you think of the Holocaust. You think of Nazi death camps, concentration camps, very efficient, uh, huge buildings, lots of soldiers coming in on trains, and everything being very, very managed and ordered. For Srebrenica, didn't have a camp there to go. Right, we're going to exterminate all eight thousand of you in this particular way. They knew how to do it with the resources available. They people shoved in a room, and then you destroy the building. That's a very efficient way of doing it. And then digging big pits and putting people's 
putting people's bodies in there to disguise what you, you had done. With recording this in 2020, it happened in 1995, and there's still thousands of bodies that have been recovered. Srebrenica was the slaughter of Bosnian Muslims or Bosniaks by the Serb army under General Mladic. If you go to the museum in, in Srebrenica uh, dedicated to this, there's a video they show you in the main hall where three Bosnian Muslims are going through the wood. They've been rounded up in the wood. The Serbs are taunting them and going, look, look, this, this guy, this guy's scared. Look at him, he's so scared. And the, guy, the, the Muslim turns around and goes, well, what else am I supposed to be? They get them lined up and they shoot them to fall into a pit and the pit fills up and they get the last two to dig their own graves before shooting them and falling in the pits. It was done on a mass scale, but it was also done on that very personal, almost like enjoyment of, of the ethnic cleansing. But these, these are just, just, just like all ordinary people. Today you can go, you can go to Srebrenica and you can go to the, the local shop there, the local bar, and you'll be served by people. If you're served by a man in his 40s or 50s, by someone who, commit, who, who was involved in the Srebrenica mass massacre. These people could turn around and say, oh yeah, yeah I know where they are. I know where these, I know where these mass graves are. If you go and look in this particular field and dig in this bit for so many, so many meters, you'll find it. But they haven't done that. They've let hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families not be able to have closure without ordinary people being involved. Srebrenica would not have been able to happen. One general cannot walk into a town and start killing everyone. He needs people to follow him and, and obey orders. No one woke up one morning and went, "You know what? I'm gonna go down to Srebrenica and I'm gonna massacre a load of Muslims." They go through a process. It starts off with their attitudes and their values ends up being a prejudice they hold against uh, a particular ethnic group. They act upon that prejudice, we you know, commonly call discrimination, and they find that you're so used to discriminating against that person, you see no problem in seeing them as a second-class citizen and a subhuman and deserving of extermination. We as ordinary people must not only just look at this and be horrified by it, but go, what can we learn of that very, very origins to make sure that our society can can become work towards being as inclusive and respectful and peaceful as it possibly can be because I believe that today you've got those those small things there they're around in British society they're around in European society still today at various levels and it's all very well going what you know what would I do if I was in the situation well you know you can start now you can address what's going on in your community you can address what's going on in your in your country and start having conversations with people that you worry about these things to make sure that they they learn and they don't end up then viewing some humans as, as more worthy than others. The, the prejudice against Bosnian Muslims has been passed down since roughly the 14th century. It's been passed down and passed down amongst Serb communities. It wasn't really in the, in the mainstream consciousness of Yugoslavia or the old kingdom of Bosnia. This narrative of the Bosnians don't belong here, they invaded, this land's rightfully ours, we need to take it back. It really is part of a wider counter-jihad narrative. Christchurch killer, when on the way to massacre 
um, Muslims in, in the mosque uh, was playing a Serbian war song from, from the 1990s. One of the great things about in the work that Hope and I Hate does is that we have our values and we hopefully most the vast majority of the country agree with us that you should be able to be the person you want to be and you have your own identity without persecution or prejudice against you. But we accept that some people don't and we talk about that openly and we have discussions about it and we educate people why that why that leads to the problems and why it leads to unhealthy unhealthy society to to try and get people to think twice. And that wasn't I don't believe that was going on in Bosnia in the late eighties. The dehumanization started very, very similar to what you saw in the Holocaust, where they saw the Jews as vermin. When their plans kicked off, the citizens weren't quite as horrified for it because they, they saw this as the natural done thing. You saw similar amongst the Serb national, nationalists, uh, that they saw uh, Bosnians as subhuman. Uh, they blamed the Bosnians for not being a rich country. They saw themselves as, you know, they were, they were neighboring uh, very, very affluent countries in, in Europe. Germany had just reunified and was doing pretty well for itself. You had France, Spain, Britain, you know, booming economies, very high standards of living. And they used that against the Bosnian Muslims by saying, these people invaded your country, you have to share your country with them. If it wasn't for them, you would be living the same life that the British live, that you'd be living the same life the French live. And that, that's how they used the prejudice and then to, to go, if, you, if we can get rid of these people that shouldn't be here, then you will have a better life. You will have you better take their land and take their jobs. That's the dehumanization process that, that went that went through in the late 80s, early 90s. Our pedagogy is largely based on something called the Pyramid of Hate, which was invented after the Second World War to try and explain how normal people allowed the Holocaust to happen. And what, what I mean by that is there's a myth that people were too scared of the Nazis to do anything about the death camps and concentration camps and people being marched off to, to extermination. But the evidence shows actually the Nazis did very little to intimidate or threaten local populations and local populations stood by and allowed it to happen. So imagine a, a normal pyramid at the pinnacle, they put the worst thing that could happen, which is genocide. Send them back to the dustbin they come from. In order to have genocide, you have to normalize violence and aggression against them. So that's your first stage. But you can't just go to someone who's anti-Semitic and say, do you know what, let's go and kill all the Jewish people. So to normalize violence, you have to normalize discrimination behavior. You need to normalize bias in employment law against them. You need to normalize discrimination in housing laws, not letting them using certain public spaces, stereotyping them, scapegoating them, and just allowing belittling and derogatory jokes made against them. They go through a process and it starts with a really small thing. That's the period of hate shows that the really, really bad stuff at the top that we as society are horrified by. It starts off by small comments, ignoring stereotyping, ignoring scapegoating, and your subconscious is picking these things up then you're developing thoughts on them, then you're acting on your thoughts, and then before you know it, you feel it's okay for someone to be treated differently to you based on a, a comment that you heard in the playground as a child. And that's the pyramid effect. In the case of Yugoslavia, it would have been making them feel very, very unwelcome, telling them to leave. This is not your country anymore. You need to go back home. and You need to at least leave my town or my village. 
when people refuse to leave and you're getting angry and frustrated with this, someone comes along and goes, you know what, let's pick up guns. Let's kill, let's, let's exterminate them. And this process apparently took one month. It went one month in peaceful, harmonious Bosnia. So and then the next month, they were, they were willing to kill their, their neighbor based on a perception that they had. And I don't think this country is at a level where we'd see genocide, but I think there are people in this country and communities, you, if you're the right sort of person. Toby Robinson's a great example of a charismatic, fairly young man. is able to whip up people's anxieties and then point the blame at somebody else. We went to three, so two major cities. We went to Sarajevo to learn about the siege and the origins of the war and meet survivors, meet people who fought in the Bosnian army. We spent a day in Srebrenica itself, meeting people who were involved with the building of the memorial. At where there we met the mothers of Srebrenica who are fighting very hard to try and find out where the rest of the bodies are buried and to bury their loved ones in a formal graves. And also we met the woman from the international community who is a forensic scientist and she's, her job is to identify uh, the bodies that come in when they're found. She goes, come into our office and he walks into her office and there are two bodies just lied out on the table. Because so many families refuse to collect their loved ones until the entire body has been found. Because what happened immediately after the, the massacre was the Serbs placed the bodies in mass graves the UN found out about these, through, I think through satellite imagery, they found out that they could see that the land had been disturbed and that they, what, they, they, what looked like mass graves had been created and they accused the Serbs of, we think you've, you've exterminated all these refugees and they, they denied it of course, because this is before the UN were fighting back. And so they re-dug up the bodies and when I mean re-dug up, they got industrial plant machinery that you see on a building site and just dug up the bodies and put them somewhere else. You know, the force of this, these machines will just cut through a body. And because you don't care about who's in the ground, you're gonna have someone's torso put in one other pit, someone's legs in another one. So actually trying to find, identify someone's loved ones, is that you might find a leg, one dig, that might be years and years later to that bit's found. And so that obviously you don't, wanna, you don't wanna bury one shin bone. So they, they leave them in this warehouse with just bags and bags and bags of bodies in them. Even though that, that place is huge, there's only a few hundred bodies in there. But, but just seeing that snapshot of what, of the lives lost. The problem with the moment with the living survivors as they pursue justice is that the refusal that what the Serbs did was wrong and the refusal that what the Serbs did was, was a crime. I met a activist from the Mothers of Srebrenica who were trying to find the, the rest of the, of the bodies so they can bury their, their relatives in a, in a proper way. And they tell the story of that when they managed to, when they got permission for there to be a heritage site in Potocari, they went to the mayor of Srebrenica who was a Serb and said, we need you to rubber stamp the approval as it's, as it's in your jurisdiction and your territory. And he said, you, we raped you, we tortured you, we murdered you, and yet you still come back. And you're seeing this all across Bosnia. If you go on, towards many of the survivors now, former Muslim majority towns have now been taken over by, by Serb nationalists. The mosque's been torn down, a church has been built, just to instate that almost that we won and you shouldn't be here anymore.
the week we were recording this, I went and taught in a school in Yorkshire. And just as a side, I asked the students if they're aware of the Holocaust, and a third of the class said they'd heard of it. The other two thirds didn't really know what I was talking about. Uh, they're aware of World War II, but not really aware of what happened uh, in the concentration camps. And I think it's horrifying that we have a generation coming through that are not learning about some of the darkest parts of European modern European history. And if we're going to say never again and really mean it, we have to learn from what happened in the Holocaust and we have to learn what happened in Srebrenica to stop it ever happening again and to make sure that we understand the full horrors of prejudice. People don't understand the real danger it causes and what it can really, really lead to. The genocide happened in Bosnia was the worst crime against humanity since the Second World War in Europe. When we say never again, and it happens again, we have to learn from it, we have to remember these things. And that's why it's important that we commemorate Holocaust Memorial Day and we learn from the horrific genocides that have happened on European soil.